Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy. We're in Romans chapter 8, and today I want to talk to you about the power of the flesh. We still have the nature of the flesh in it. It lives inside of our body, but how we cannot be controlled by it. It still exists, but we can have control over it. We can go to the Word of God today. I trust you'll have some great understanding, but also break into a whole new life with Jesus Christ. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. So glad to have you here today. I'm teaching uh, throughout these uh, numbers of lessons. I don't know how many exactly they're going to be on Romans chapter 8, but I do have a book on the book of Romans. And I want you to be blessed by getting your copy of it. The announcer will come on here during halftime and tell you how you can have a copy of it for yourself. And that'll be a great blessing to you. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're taking a look at verse 6. Again, just to simply recap, Chapter eight of the book of Romans is this incredible tying together of two parts of this book. Paul always taught in uh, his books on natural things and spiritual things, and usually started off with spiritual things and shifted over to natural things, and, and Romans is no exception. And uh, most books, again, that Paul wrote were five, six, seven chapters. This one has 16 chapters in it. And uh, again, much more lengthy, but I like to call this book a, a book of romance and redemption, just, just incredible insights into redemption. And let me give you uh, the point where chapter eight uh, is. In chapters uh, one through five, Paul talks about the new birth. Paul talks about how great everything is. The Christian life all came by faith through grace. Uh, back in the uh, chapter four, two, um, two people are co- uh, compared there in that chapter to salvation by faith. And one was Abraham before the law. One was David during the law. And Paul was simply pointing out the law was never designed to save. Salvation has always been exactly by grace through faith. And then in chapter uh, six and seven, Paul uh, finds himself in carnality. It's kind of like in chapters one through five. He just loves redemption, loves salvation, loves being uh, following God. And then in chapter six and seven, finds out he can still sin. And I think that happens so often in the Christian's life. They get born again, think my life in sin is over. Then they find themselves being tempted, falling back into old things and wondering, was I really saved in the first place? But Paul was saved in the first place, just like people today who receive Jesus as Savior are born again, but they're still going to face problems because the nature of the flesh is still in you. That's inside your body. In fact, in chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, Paul locates it and says, it's sin that works in my members, the body of sin. He refers to it. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 1 says, where does all these fightings and wars come from? Don't you know that it's those things in your flesh, in your body that are warring against you? And so the Bible is specific to point out that this nature of the flesh is in your body because this is the one part of you that hasn't been redeemed yet. Your spirit was redeemed the moment you received Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit came to live in your spirit. Your spirit and the Holy Spirit are just literally meshed together as one. And then the mind can be renewed every single day. The mind can keep getting better and better. Your thoughts get better and better. But the flesh doesn't change. In fact, it goes the opposite direction. It keeps aging and aging and aging till one day you die, you go to heaven, and you're released from that nature of the flesh. But in the meantime, we can conquer it. And here's how we do it. It's now found in chapter eight. In chapter eight, we find here's the light at the end of the tunnel. Here's the daylight after this darkness of two chapters of Paul fighting this battle inside of himself. You know, I want to do this, but I end up doing this. I want to do this. But he was carnal. 
Carnal means that he was born again, truly a carnal Christian, born again, but under the control of the flesh, not under the control of the Holy Spirit. To be under the control of the flesh is to be carnal. To be under the control of the Holy Spirit is called spiritual. But we make up our mind. The mind is the swing vote. And so renewing the mind becomes the object of the Christian life. Whenever you sin, we go to 1 John 1, 9. In the Old Testament, the same pattern was there, and that is confession of sins. It says in Proverbs, he that confesses and turns from it will be blessed. And David had to do this, had to admit, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan the prophet said, your sins are forgiven. Now you won't die. In other words, Paul, uh, David was even headed toward death at that time, but he repented in time. Repentance for a believer is found throughout the word of God and specifically in the Old Testament, so specifically pointed out in the lives of so many of those individuals who fell for so many things in the Old Testament. And we today can still fall for the same sins in the New Testament, but the concept is still there. We need to come to the Lord as a believer and confess our sins. Confession doesn't mean we try to name them, go into all the details. We just simply do, like David said, I have sinned against the Lord. The prodigal said the same thing. Whenever he came to himself, he was the prodigal son, not the prodigal who no longer is a son. He was still a son and even said, in the pig's pen, I'll return to my father. The relationship was still there. The fellowship had been broken. And he said, I will tell him this. I have sinned against heaven and against you. There's first John 1, 9, admitting that you've done wrong. The word confess means to admit it. You don't have to go into great detail and tell God all the details of what happened. He knows better than you do what you did. You just need to admit it. That's what he's waiting for. Think about this. If confession of sins was necessary to get saved, you wouldn't have time. It would take you years to go back and uh, forgive me, forgive me. You start thinking of all these things. But confession of sins is not, uh, is not how you get saved. When you get saved, you confess the Lordship of Jesus and he forgives you of all your sins and that is your doorway into heaven. But sins you commit after that will not keep you out of heaven. They will break you from fellowship with God. And you don't come to God and confess the Lordship of Jesus again to get saved. You come and simply confess that sin to him. I have sinned against you. It's forgiven. You're back on track. It's a Christian growth process. And without 1 John 1, 9, you could not keep on growing in the things of God. The object for the sinner is to believe in Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in him. The object for the believer is to put your faith and trust in the word of God. So the blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ himself is who saves you, but the word of God is who causes you to grow up and become mature in the things of God. Verse six says of chapter eight, we're finally into chapter eight again. Verse six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Here he's speaking to believers and a believer can either be carnally minded or spiritually minded. Carnally minded means to think in line with the lust of the flesh, but the spiritual mind thinks in line with the word of God and pleasing God and what the scriptures have to say. Since the mind determines the swing vote, it determines whether you as a believer are carnal or spiritual, depending on which choice you make out of your own will. The spiritual mind is under the control of the Holy Spirit and ultimately God himself. God can direct you, God can lead you, God can guide you, but the carnal mind is under the control of the flesh and of the world and of Satan himself. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Choosing to use 1 John 1, 9 changes you from being carnal to being spiritual. 
What the flesh can produce is temporary. It's doomed. It's doomed to perish. This is because the flesh is temporary and what the spirit can produce is eternal because the recreated spirit itself is eternal and therefore it can produce eternal things. Since your flesh is only temporary, anything you do out of the flesh, any decision you make based on the lust of the flesh comes from something that will die and what it produces will die. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. But whenever God gives you something. You find it in the word of God. You act on in faith. You are producing something that will last forever, even if it's giving $10 in the offering and the flesh can give $1,000 in the offering, but that fleshly $1,000 will again die because you did it out of guilt. You don't want to confess your sins. You want to somehow pay your way back into fellowship with God and you can no more pay your way into fellowship with God than you can pay yourself into eternal life as a sinner. And so verse seven goes on to say, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The Greek actually says the carnal mind is the enemy of God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Our mind under the control of the flesh becomes the enemy of God, thus making us his enemy. The flesh nor the carnal mind can ever be subject to God's law. And it's stated in the word of God, in my flesh. Paul said this, in my flesh dwells no good thing. And the word there is for divine good. My flesh cannot produce anything pleasing to God, only what comes from my spirit, only what comes from faith in God's word, only from coming from something that wants to please God above everything and not a carnal thought attached to it can produce for God, increase in life and be rewarded in eternity. Verse eight goes on to say, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Since without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six. Attempting to exercise faith in carnality is useless. Why? Because the carnal mind nullifies the faith. If you operate in the carnal mind, you're controlled by the nature of the flesh and you cannot please God. The nature of of the flesh in a believer cannot erase your relationship with God. It cannot erase your salvation, but it can nullify God's pleasure with us in our daily life. God loves all of his children, but he does not necessarily like them all. I'm going to say that again. You've got kids, you love them all the same. You should because they all came from you, but don't you just like certain, you know why you like them? Because they please you more often. They don't argue with you. They don't, they don't defy you. They don't push the edge of the limits. I have two kids and I can tell you one of them. I mean, my daughter, she just followed after. I mean, no matter what we see, and the slightest thing she would do that she knew wasn't right, she'd start crying. But my son seemed to always ride the limits, always push and press the edges of things. But you know what? The same thing is true in the Christian life. There's times when we just love serving God. There's other times we want to push the limits. One determines that we are spiritual. The other determines we are fleshly. I'm not in the Christian life to see what I can get away with. I'm in the Christian life to please my heavenly father. God loves all of his children. He loves them all the same, but doesn't necessarily like them all. But he is pleased with those who obey him, pleased with those who follow after him. And that's what I want. I want to seek God's good pleasure in me. He loves us because we're born again and members of his family. He likes us or are pleased with us because we walk free from sin's control and we do his will in this earth. Even Jesus 
God said twice of him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice there's sonship, but there's also pleasing him. There's being a member of God's family, but there's also being the fact I wanna please God today. And without faith, it is impossible to please God and the flesh cannot produce faith. Faith comes from the recreated spirit and trusting in God's word. But verse nine goes on to say, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. What the verse is simply saying is if you're born again, God doesn't see you in the flesh. You might be in the flesh, but God doesn't see at the time he still sees you as a Christian. Whatever you're doing in the flesh doesn't nullify what happened when you got born again. But believe me, it can bring consequences in life. Although you may be under the control of the flesh, again, God always sees you as your child. That's why he still always loves you. But is he pleased with you today? In the spirit is what God is looking for. Being carnal specifically affects our life for the Lord in front of others. In heaven, we're still seen as righteous. Carnality can never override our righteousness before God. It brings sorrow, a lack of spiritual power, and little resistance to Satan and to demons, but can only affect our righteousness before the world, never affect our righteousness before our heavenly Father. Have you been born again? Then you're in Christ. You know what? Why don't you begin to live like it? This is what God is looking for. I will see you immediately after the break. Romans New Testament Commentary is a verse-by-verse teaching of the Book of Romans from the personal study notes of Pastor Bob Yandian. In his letter to the Romans, Paul clarified the principle of justification and whether it is by deeds of the law or by the work of God. Paul reveals that the law has never been a means of salvation and that faith has always been the means of spirituality regardless of the dispensation. This epistle also helps us to understand how we may gain victory over the flesh. If we as believers walk according to our new nature, the inward man, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and not the sin nature. To order Romans New Testament Commentary, visit our website at bobbyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Let's go back and take a look beginning in verse 10 here in Romans chapter 8. I trust you have your Bibles there with you, or at least something to look at, you know, your iPad or whatever the Bible is, and taking notes at the same time. And again, I know this is being a blessing to you, but look with me at verse 10. God simply says this here about your body 
And God here is also saying here about your spirit righteousness. It says in verse 10, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. There is where the nature of the flesh abides. There is where the nature of sin abides. You do not have the nature of sin in your spirit. The nature of sin does not abide in your soul, in your mind. It abides in your body. The mind determines the swing vote. And what happens is the more we operate in the spirit, our mind becomes renewed. And the more we become renewed in the mind, the less problems we have with sin, even besetting sins that we think we'll never conquer. Still comes by obedience to the word of God, choosing to follow the word of God, choosing to trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There comes a day you look back and say, you know what? I haven't even had any more problems in that area. Man, I have really begun to grow. Now you still haven't reached the ultimate goal and will not in this life. And that is not having any sin at all. These things we write to you that you sin not, but if you do sin, we have a, we have a advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 10 says again, if Christ is in you, I trust he's in you. You either watch this broadcast or born again. You can probably nod your head and say, he's in me. Then it goes on to say, do this. Consider the body dead because of sin. Since sin dwells in your body, consider it dead. Dead to God, dead to you. And anytime it rises up, you'll know I see you as dead and I'm going to leave you there. But the spirit is life. Actually, the Greek says the spirit is alive, always will be alive. Why? Because of righteousness. Righteousness does not dwell in my body. It dwells in my spirit. That's the part that's been born again. Seeing our flesh is already dead is a key to walking in righteousness. The flesh cannot nullify our salvation. The flesh can never go to heaven. It cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our spirit is the only part of our being which received eternal life and it's forever alive. It's called eternal life, not intermittent life. Since our flesh is already dead, our body will one day be changed into a resurrection body. At that time, we'll have a body that's actually been recreated by God like we have a spirit that's been recreated by God, like we have a soul that's been recreated through time by the word of God. Your resurrection body will be created from our recreated spirit and then live eternally with God in heaven. In the meantime, our human body is forever dead in God's sight, forever unredeemable. Our spirit is forever alive, our flesh forever dead. It comes back to that point again, that our new resurrection body will one day be eternal because it comes from that eternal part of us. It is sown a natural body. It will be raised a spiritual body. It's called a natural body because it came from nature and nature is cursed. So our body is cursed, but our spirit's been born again. And therefore it says it will be sown a natural body from nature, but raised a spiritual body. Our spirit will actually clothe us with a brand new body, physical body like this, that will be just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11 with me. But if the spirit of him, that's God, the father who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And if you're born again, he does. Then he who raised up Christ from the dead will also give to you mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He'll give life one day to that mortal body and give us a resurrection body. Just as it took the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead and gave him an eternal resurrection body, so it will be with us. Our mortal body will be changed into a resurrection body at the rapture of the church. And that's for all believers who have lived during the church age. If a person dies today, they don't get their resurrection body now. Their natural body was in the ground and left there. Their spirit and soul go to heaven. In fact, Paul pointed out in Hebrews chapter 12, that if you could look into heaven, you would see the spirits of just men made perfect. You'd see them in their spirits. A spirit can be seen. 
all right? Those two spirits appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. They just suddenly appeared and they recognized them. Even though they knew they were spirits, they were not physical bodies, they saw them as spirits. But one day, all who have lived during the church age and have gone to heaven will come back with Jesus when he comes for us to rapture us and they will come back from heaven and they will get their old bodies and see them changed into resurrection bodies. Their mortal will put on immortality. Their corruptible will put on incorruption and they'll have a resurrection body just like Jesus. But at the same time where they went into the ground and were buried and now have a resurrection body, we who are alive at that time will suddenly be instantly changed. This body will be changed immediately in a moment, the twinkling of an eye and changed into a resurrection body. And then all of us, those who came from heaven, from the church age, all the way back to the day of Pentecost who have died, they will get their resurrection bodies. We will get changed immediately into a resurrection body. We will be the one generation that will not see physical death and will be changed into a resurrection body. We'll all rise to meet Jesus in the air that he will take us to heaven for seven years, of which during that time we will go through the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 12 goes on to say, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. What are we debtors for? You know, back in chapter one, that was mentioned before. We are debtors to preach the gospel, debtors to see people get saved. That's the one major debt we cannot pay back. Jesus paid all debts except for this one. And now that we're born again, we can accomplish that debt and we can give into the kingdom of God and we can minister to people to get saved. So verse 12 says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh into verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And that's talking about here in this earth. We will be living, outwardly living Christians where people can see us. Again, just as in chapter one, where we are debtors to the world to give them the gospel, we're also debtors to ourselves and to the world to resist the flesh we still live in. What good is it to be born again, but the world can't see any change in us? Understand something. You can get born again, think, oh, I've arrived. No, you've arrived eternally for heaven, but God leaves you here for a reason. And that is to take what has happened inside of you, bring it to the outside and start to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, my body can never be saved, but I can show the world through my body that the inward part of me is born again. In other words, they know me from the outside. Bob has changed. I really doubt that. And after a while they go, huh, he really has changed. Why? That is what discipleship is. Discipleship is taking what's on the inside of you and bringing it out for the world to see. And that's why verse 13 says, if you live before the world, I listen, when I'm here on this earth, I'm living to show the world Jesus Christ, not only by my words, but by my actions and my deeds. It's time for the world to see that I am born again. As the Bible says in Corinthians, it says, come out from among them, that's the world, and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I will be your God, you'll be my people. What God is saying is I want a group of people in this earth that look like me, act like me. I want them to, when they call you a Christian, a little Jesus Christ to actually mean it. Not just the fact that you go to a church that believes in Christianity. You believe in Christianity. You put your faith in Jesus. They want to see it in front of themselves. In fact, if they know you're a Christian, they watch you. And you know what? Fine, let them watch me because you know what they do? If they begin to watch me, they might actually get born again by my actions, by my deeds, how I live for Jesus. I'm to take what's on the inside of me and bring it to the outside. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling to where the world can see it. 
So we have two choices to make. First, not to live by the power of the flesh. If we do, whatever we produce is death doomed. It will not last. Second, living long enough under the control of the flesh can bring about physical death and even the sin unto death, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. The sin unto death doesn't mean you end up going to hell. It means you've got so far into sin that your life is actually taken from you. You begin to hinder other people around you. Will you go to heaven? The answer is yes. There was a man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the church that was committing incest. And Paul said, quit praying for him. You prayed for him and prayed for him. He says, there comes a point you finally just turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, this man was a believer, but he says, there comes a time when after living in sin this long and you've been praying for him and he hasn't changed, just turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I'm telling you, carnal Christians end up going to heaven, but I have a huge lack of rewards. I like to think Jesus will meet them at the front gate going stupid, stupid, stupid. Why did you live by your flesh for so long? But the Bible is filled with them. There's Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul. He got so far out of fellowship with God, he was actually looking to witches to get the will of God. And in fact, before he died, he went to the witch of Endor. His sons went to the witch of Endor. And there, while she was... Uh, producing a seance so he could talk to uh, Samuel, Samuel actually came up. She had never seen this before. She was so used to the operation of demons. When the real thing happened, this witch of Endor fell over, began to scream, and she recognized what was going on. She'd never seen the real thing, but you know what? It didn't stop Saul. He began to ask what was going to happen. I love what Samuel said. He said, oh yeah, go to battle. You're asking if you should go to battle? Yeah, go to battle. But I'm here to tell you, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. He was in paradise and says, you'll be with me. Even though Saul again was carnal, there was times in his life he would suddenly snap out of it and begin to prophesy again, but they go right back into carnality. He's a type of so many in the word of God. David, it was possible David came this close to dying because of the Bathsheba incident, because of what he did, how he killed her husband, uh, Uriah the Hittite. And he did all, and then lived a lie for a year, had a baby out of wedlock. I mean, he, you could list the things one after another. And all he said was one thing, whenever the, it was finally presented to him by Nathan the prophet, Nathan said to him, here's what you've done, here's what you've done, here's what you've done. And the only way for him to have known it was by the Holy Spirit and the word of knowledge. And David just simply listened and went, oh my gosh, I thought I was getting away with all this stuff. I hid it from the nation. I hid it from my own staff. I hid all these things. Only, um, only I know about it. And only did Bathsheba know about it. But no, God knew about it. Because you know why? At the closing of the chapter before where all those sins of David were, it says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God saw the whole thing. Never think this thing about, well, there's nobody around. My wife's not here. My husband's not here. I can do this thing. No, God's always there. He never leaves you nor forsake you. You may not want to hurt your wife, but you'll do it. But you know what? You certainly don't want to hurt God, but you're doing it. He sees what you're doing. And here's what, here's what happened. The moment that Nathan told him this story of the ewe lamb and David realized the story was about himself. It was a parable. He suddenly just thought, oh my goodness. He said, you know what? I have sinned against the Lord. First John 1, 9, he confessed his sin. You know what? You know what Nathan the prophet said? Your sins are forgiven. A whole year's worth of sins. I mean, lusting after Bathsheba, 
uh, killing her husband, murdering him, sending him into battle, all the things you've done that got him killed, living a lie all this time, bringing her in like she's, you're going to take care of her when the reason why you brought her in is she's pregnant with your child. I mean, all these things he did. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. One simple phrase, I have sinned against the Lord. He confessed it. And here's what Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. You will not die. If you confess in time, your life is added to you. In fact, the man in 1 Corinthians that was committing incest repented. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, bring him back into the church. Again, I'm here to tell you that your sins in this natural can't separate you from eternal life, cannot separate you from your salvation, but they can test you and actually bring you to a point where you're living in total sin and you no longer are happy, no longer joyful. And even your life can be taken from you, your physical life. Oh, you'll go to heaven. But God wants you to go to heaven in spirit spirituality, not carnality. He wants you to go there, be happy, not only in heaven, but also in life. We can keep on going, but I'll see you tomorrow. We'll take up right here from where we left off. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.